A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, proudly celebrating the arrival of the all new Dacia Duster range. Launch event on from Thursday 11th to Saturday, October 13th. Call in today and see how affordable the all new Duster is with special launch low APR finance. You're very welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. I want to start with a question today. What's going on in my hometown, Drogheda? I'm a guy who was born and reared here. I live, I've lived here all my life. And I've never, ever experienced anything like the goings-on this last week or so. It's just incredible. Last night near where we lived, the helicopter was in the sky for hours. Car bombs, kidnappings, attacks... Holy God Almighty. I, I, I read about this and I've heard about it elsewhere and in other parts of the world. But in my hometown, what has it come to? I've never experienced anything like this in my life. What's wrong? What is up? What's to be done? There needs to be something done and done quickly, like the Gardaí and the uh, law enforcement agencies and the law itself through the courts need to deal with these people and these situations urgently. Because people are in fear. They really are. I've been talking to lots of people yesterday and today. They're worried. They're really concerned about what's happening. This is unprecedented and needs to be dealt with sooner rather than later. And I want to make a call as a native Drahadian on the Gardaí and the law enforcement people and our courts to get to grips with this immediately. Because that's what the people want. They want to feel safe. They don't want this in their town or these people who are at the root of this as well and behind it. We need them rooted out and sorted out straight away. Welcome to the show. If you have anything to say, don't forget the numbers 086-1800-658 by text or WhatsApp. If you have anything to say about what I've been just speaking about a moment ago or anything else on the show, and I'm sure you're going to have something to say about the late, great Paddy Clark, because never mind his prowess as a manager and coach in sport, Paddy Clark was one of life's decent souls. A gentleman to the core passed away yesterday following an illness fought with bravery over recent years. He first came to prominence in soccer circles when guiding Drogheda to three successive FAI Youth Cup finals in the 70s. He won two of them before switching to GAA where he enjoyed consistent success with numerous clubs in several different counties. He also took charge of his native Louth from 97 to 2001, winning a B-All Ireland and Division 2 of the National Football League. His trusted wingman with Louth and good friend Eugene Judge knew Paddy so well and he joins me now on the line. Afternoon, Eugene. How are you doing, Jerry? Thank you very much for joining me today. Eugene, in sporting terms, a man ahead of his time, would that describe him? Oh yeah, look, in sporting terms, he was just way ahead of his time. Um, it's hard to believe my experience really with Paddy was just, uh, I just couldn't believe how advanced his thinking was. Um, he just he just fit in there, he just made it look so easy. 
he was always, uh, as I said before, there. If it was if he was called in today to get involved with Dublin, he was that type of guy. He would just slip in to that scene, no problem. He was just way ahead, and just what you said, you know, he, he was he, he just loved sport, yeah. and he loved every sport. Yeah. But uh, he would certainly be open. He was very open-minded as well, and I think he took Laird a little bit by surprise, really, Jerry. The fact that he was so advanced in his thinking, and he was certainly ahead of his time. There's no doubt about that. What made him so successful, Eugene? You were closer to him than anybody. What was his traits or the, the skills he brought that made him different? Besides being ahead of his time, what was he like, really? Well, he was just a lovely man, to be honest with you. Uh, he, was, uh, he was so approachable. There was no way of the graces about Paddy. And even all he achieved. Uh, and the big thing he could do, which is a, it's a massive thing, he could connect. He just could connect with everybody and everybody felt at ease with him. And he just, you know, he was just, as I said, he was just, he was, there was no, he wasn't a ruthless guy. He just, uh, he had a way of doing things and, you know, he would, you know, he, if he was going to drop you, let's put it this way to you, you'd be thinking afterwards, he's, he's out an idiot, he's out an idiot promoting me, you know, he was that type of fella, he was that good at it. Yeah. But he was just overall, he was just a lovely human being, first of all. And, uh, you know, I just, you know, I just found him just, as I said, he was just a great friend. I have to say that. Now, he worked with uh, some very prominent people, Mickey Whelan, with McEntee as well, with yourself. Do you know the good cop, bad cop scenario? Now, Eugene, I'm not painting you to be a bad cop by any means, <laughs> but you know where I'm getting at. Is that the way he operated like? Yeah, yeah. Look, he, he, Paddy always was, was, was thinking ahead. Like, if you were looking at the ball, following the ball, Paddy was looking back the other way. That's just the way he was. So, you know, there was always a little bit, you know, sort of forward thinking in the sense that, like, you know, maybe in Jerry's case, probably Jerry was a bit, maybe a wee bit like me. Um, you know, Mickey Whelan was probably the same, a brilliant coach. Well, Mickey would be very upfront, you know. So, like, you know, if you came across maybe a difficult guy, it wind up Paddy in some shape or form would wind up getting you in there with that guy and then eventually Paddy would come in there and maybe, you know, smooth things over. That's just the way he operated, you know. He was just, uh, as I said, he was. that's just the type of guy he was, you know. You were with him, uh, with Loud, from 97 to 2001 and you won the Be All Ireland. I remember you winning Division 2 of the National League as well and you went so close in the Championship, you know, it wasn't far away, and I know he felt that. I spoke to him afterwards. Did that niggle him for years that you you didn't maybe get a little longer to make that breakthrough? Oh, we never did. Like I mean, the two of us sat down and we felt there was a window of opportunity just then. Dublin was struggling, you know. Kildare was sort of in the wane with 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 O'Dwyer, and we felt we went far away, and we were really competing. You think about it, like we were probably unfortunate against me in '98 who were the top dogs at the time. Kildare beat us in 2001 or 2000, when only beat us in a controversial pen, penalty decision, and they went on to win the Leinster. So, I mean, we felt we were fairly close, and subsequently we were proven right, because Westmead got in and Leach got in. Yeah. So it was a fact that you were not far away and would have loved to have that extra time. But look, he got on with it after that. And I was just looking across all the counties and the clubs. You know, he won championships in Loudmead, Monaghan, Cavan and Dublin, brought Bridget's in Dublin to, to their first Dublin and Leinster titles. And I see them really saddened today by, by the remarks coming from them. He achieved everywhere he was. 
Yeah, well, look, he, he's, look, I mean, the CV is just unreal. I, I probably really know, probably, to be honest with you, it's just the, what I would know is the tip of the iceberg, to be honest with you. He just was involved, even going back, I think he was involved with Mead, which, when Colm O'Rourke was a minor, and if you talk to even guys, he, you know, he's touched every sport. Spoke to a guy there yesterday, a cousin of mine, played with Boyne a long time ago, and he says, you know, We'd, he'd done weight training with Paddy 45, 45 years ago, you know? Yeah. And it was just incredible. And I, you know, come back to even Jim O'Neill and all them boys, like, they all held him in such such high esteem and the respect I had for him. And, you know, that's a testimony to himself. But the achievements is just, it's endless, to be honest with you. And if he didn't win, an, win anything with you, he certainly moved you on another notch or two. And, you know, I think... Uh, Everybody was always the better for it, you know. Yeah. I remember you mentioned Liam O'Neill there and the group he had there at Drogheda in the soccer youth team that got the three FAI Cup finals in a row. Won two of them and probably should have won the hat-trick. But I remember him telling me, Paddy himself, that he'd gone over to Leeds. There was the great Leeds United team of that mm. era uh, to Don Revy. And he studied, he was invited in there and he looked at what they did and he brought it back. When you think of that, Eugene, in the early 70s. Well, that's true, and he, he was with Shankly as well. He was spent he? A week, he spent a week with Shankly as well at that period, you know. But you see, this is the thing, like, it's hard to believe, like, you know, the way he was thinking. Uh, you know, you hear guys going over to watch New Zealand doing it now, and what they're doing and someone else. When you think about it, you know, he was just a sponge, Paddy, uh, Paddy was, you know. And I always say Paddy was, was, was saying he Googled before Google was invented. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he just... The amount of information, he was an encyclopedia of information and uh, and was quite willing to pass it on, Jerry, which mm. was fantastic. But you're right. I mean, to think he was over there, I think that's what freaking people. Mm. Uh, and I think in hindsight, as regards Paddy, and especially from a GAA point of view in Loud, I always felt it was a great opportunity missed. I have no doubt about that. Paddy was probably, we didn't exploit Paddy enough. Mm. That's my take on it. And it's very simple. I think a lot of people think the same way now, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you know? And his, uh, alluding to something you, you touch on there as well, his preparation and analysis, he left nothing to chance, did he? Nothing. I'm telling you now, the hours he would have spent on, uh, uh, say, making videos, uh, putting pieces together. Uh, you know, I often asked him for one or two of them. Uh, it, was a, you know, it, was a, it was a library out there. And I remember even he'd get to the point where, you know, simple things like where we'd, we'd be going to a away match. And he'd, he'd have to, he'd have, he'd bring his own, he'd bring the, his own brown bread. Get, had he had a Pacific brown bread. He'd have shopped around for it. And this brown bread was the brown bread we had to have, you know. That's just the, that's just how, how, say, organized and, uh, you know, the attention to detail was, was, was just unreal, you know. And the famous word that, with Paddy, certainly for me, I used to call him, what if? You know, Paddy would always say, what if Jerry Kelly's not playing well today? What are we going to do? We'd have that answer on the line. What if such and such got pulled off? That's just the way he was. That was that was the first thing you know I remember, and that saved that could save you five minutes in a huddle. Mm. And I you know, know his health was deteriorating over a number of years, but especially in the last year or two. And uh, you had him in Croke Park this year, and he made every effort to get there. Uh, was it an All Ireland final day? He was there. He was born in the All Ireland. I brought him up for the All Ireland, and look, we had a great day. Have to say, a brilliant day, and uh, it just, uh, you know, it definitely, yeah, on the last, certainly in the last year, he, he, he sort of was deteriorating. But look, he, he knew himself. Paddy, Paddy, as the fellow says, Paddy was no doll. 
he knew where he was at but the way he always looked at life it was half full his life was always half full and he he fought that that uh, illness really which which he was just uh, you know as I said right to the very end uh, you know with with such bravery and uh, like he finished the race that you know he done what he had to do uh, you know and he was lucky I tell you uh, his wife Ines was fantastic I have to say I'd have to mention her she was fantastic there you know she was at every beck and call. The family was the same, you know, like, and he knew that, like, I mean, he was, he'd always say to me he was blessed, you know, like, uh, that song, I suppose, would go back to uh, Chicago, you're the, the reason in my life, you're my inspiration, that that would be in that, you know. Mm. Oh, it's lovely to mention yeah. her and the family yeah, today yeah, as well. Yeah, it was fantastic, mm. they just fantastic, you know. Mm. And I know you saw him last on Friday last as well, and you said your goodbyes to him at that stage, and, and he went went off then over the weekend. I mentioned that he was a decent soul, a gentleman, but you, I spoke to you earlier on today, and you used the word inoffensive. He was just so inoffensive. He just, there wasn't a bad, you couldn't say, I just, you couldn't have a bad word to say about Paddy. It just wasn't in him. You know, uh, he, he, as I said before, that's the other side of him, taken away from sport. You know, he was, Paddy was a giver, uh, uh, Jerry. He, he would, and he wasn't a giver of, when I say any worldly things, he was a giver of time, which, you know, which is really probably, people often forget that when you think of people talking about loneliness now. And sort of, you know, given that time and that type of thing. Paddy was a giver of time. He would give you any amount of time. It was always free. There was nothing like, in fairness to Paddy, you could meet Paddy and he would give you that time. And the other thing, he was gracious. He was a brilliant listener. You know, he, he would let you, even if I come on the phone, come back and we talked about football, you know, he would, he would let you, you know, you, you could talk for five minutes. And then he would come in. He was, and I think that's what he, you know, that's what made him special. He was a giver and uh, and he was a listener as well. You know, there's no this. You know, he was a great, great man. Eugene, lovely words. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Pleasure, Jerry. Take care okay. of yourself. Bye-bye. Take care. That's Eugene Judge there, who soldiered with Paddy for many years. And I want to echo those words and agree with everything and concur with everything Eugene said there about the man himself. He was so obliging. I had a lot of dealings with him in sport as loud manager. He was always available to me. He'd uh, talk to you at the drop of a hat. He had always something to contribute. And he was a very, very special man. And the world is a poorer place and sport and our communities here in the North East and beyond for the loss of Paddy Clark at the weekend. Er Yeshe Goreva Anam, may he rest in peace. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, proudly celebrating the arrival of the all-new Dacia Duster range. Launch event on from Thursday 11th to Saturday, October 13th. Call in today and see how affordable the all-new Duster is with special launch low APR finance. Did you know that Ivana Lynch of Harry Potter fame is in the semi-final of Dancing with the Stars in the USA this very night? Yes, we love to call her our own here in the Northeast, and she is indeed, and we're so proud of her. She needs a little bit of a push tonight, and her dad, Donald Lynch, is on the line. Hello, Donald. Hello, hello, Jerry. Thank you for taking our call and joining us today. Well, well, well. This young lady is on the brink of something very special, isn't she? Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 um, uh, on an, a level that we've never seen before. You know, the Harry Potter thing was one thing, but that all happened in a quiet studio in London. Yeah. 
this is just out there big time you know we're, we're just completely carried away by well gobsmacked by it not carried away but completely taken aback by it yes and you've been out there yourself and your wife have been there yeah. and uh, the brother's there is he this evening yeah Patrick is there he, he flew out yesterday morning so he'll be going to the show tonight he's looking forward to that and um, to um, seeing LA too Yes, absolutely. So you're there in force. You have been, the, uh, your son is now there supporting his sister. So today, the purpose of our conversation is this. She can be supported, not from Ireland, but from the USA by expats. Is that it? Absolutely, yes. Um, you need to be in the States to vote. And, um, and in fact, even to see the show too, you know, so it is on ABC Network on Monday nights at 8 o'clock okay. Eastern Time. And the voting goes on then after that until, I think it is about um, 12 at night, or maybe it's a little bit later. Yeah. Um, but tonight is a vital night because this is a semi-final night. And there are six couples still there. Um, one will be eliminated tonight and the other five will go through to the final. So um, uh, survive tonight and you're in the final oh, next Monday night. That's what we want. We want Ivana Lynch in the final next Monday. And I, I can tell you, Donald, there's lots of people on the East Coast wakening at the moment, listening to us here on Late Lunch right. on LMFM. I know this from Louth and Meath and Beyond, expats. Right. So I'm saying to them today, good morning, USA. Let's be having you this evening. ABC, 8 o'clock Eastern Time. Ivana Lynch needs your support. Please, please get voting for her. Is that OK, Donald? Are you happy with that? That is really good. <laughs> and she's all up for it. I, I texted her before to wish her luck last week. And um, just before she went on the show, about an hour after, an hour before, she texted me back to say, she says, yes, I'm all up for it. She says, I'm going to dance my heart out. Oh. And, and she did that. She got three tens. Um, with her partner, of course, who was a brilliant um, dancer. He's the professional. Yeah. And they got three tens, but they still ended up actually in what they call jeopardy. Um, three three couples ended up in jeopardy and two of them went. So Ivana hung in there and is very dependent on the um, popular vote. Yeah. Because, of course, it's all Americans and they're American pop stars and all that. So they have a lot of support. And some of them have radio shows like yourself on the... Um, networks in yes. America so they have big support mm. so, so we need to we get right behind Havana our expats if you know anybody and if you're listening here at home today and you have relatives over there Absolutely. email them text them get in touch with them let's get behind Havana Lynch and send her to the final so that's another option for votes from back home here to get in touch with people over there as well now here's the thing we know how brilliant she was in the Harry Potter series and everything else she's done in our life but it all began in the little Duke Tierra in Drogheda, the dancing, did it, Donald? Yeah, absolutely. That's where she cut her acting teeth and her dancing teeth, too. Uh, um, yeah, absolutely, and we're very proud of that. Like, it's not not the first time that Drogheda has sent out some stars, I can tell you. Mm. Um, and, yeah, yeah, it all began here. Um, wonderful. Yeah, she, she had no... Um, I mean, she didn't have an agent or anything before the Harry Potter uh, um, appearance. And a lot of people were surprised at that because they had trolled the the, um, the uh, dancing schools and the acting schools, I should say, all over the UK for a, a Luna Lovegood, but they, they weren't entirely happy. Mm. So here she was plucked from obscurity 
but she had been through the little joke. <laughs> Where all great dancing careers begin. I do want to mention again her professional dance partner, Kio Mazzeppi. He's yeah. a brilliant dancer as well, and he's her professional partner in the dancing. And they do two dances tonight, yes? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, so very, very important to get right behind Ivana and yeah. give her all the support she needs tonight. You can't watch it here, can you? No. No, uh, we, they give us a link, all right. That, yeah. uh, Disney, it's Disney that controls this, that owns this. Um, and they give us a link. Um, unfortunately, it failed last week on us, but other weeks it, it worked. So okay. we hope to see it live, all right. Oh, please, God, Donald. In actual fact, you can see the, the dance within half an hour on YouTube. Right. So it means that you need to be up at half one in the morning or two o'clock this morning. Uh, you know, it's tomorrow morning. Yes. Well, there's a lot of night owls, I can tell you. Donald will be watching it as well. We're looking for this evening. I want to wish you and Marguerite all the success to your wife. Patrick's over there and the woman herself, Ivana and Keo, our partner. I really believe in my soul they're going to make it through to the final. Please, God, they will. Yeah, I, I believe it too. Uh, and uh, thank you very much, Jerry. Really appreciate this and really appreciate the, the people on the East Coast of America. I didn't think we'd be talking to I, I, uh, people on the East Coast, but I, I thought I was uh, hoping instead that we get locals here who might text their friends in America. They'll do that. Happening. Lots of my friends and are doing that. You know, Irish people are great. You know, when the Irish get behind somebody, whether it's a football team or a... Uh, Whatever it is, yes. a rugby team or whatever, by God, you won't beat the Irish. Absolutely, oh, Donald. So. Thanks a million. Good luck to all the Lynches tonight. Thank you. Thanks, thanks, Jerry. Take bye. care of yourself. Bye bye, bye bye. That's Donald Lynch there. And yes, East Coast USA, we need you this evening for Havana. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, proudly celebrating the arrival of the all-new Dacia Duster range. Launch event on from Thursday 11th to Saturday, October 13th. Call in today and see how affordable the all-new Duster is with special launch low APR finance. My next guest on Late Lunch this afternoon is a helicopter crewman with the Irish Air Corps, a member of the Irish Army since 2003. He served abroad in Liberia and Lebanon, but I'm glad to say he's home and on terra firma with us on Late Lunch today. Dermot Corcoran, you're very welcome to the show. Yeah, Thank you for joining me. Thanks no a million. Um, can we start at the start? 2003, you joined the Army. That's correct. Way back in 2003, up in Dundalk. The 19th of May at a quarter to ten, you can remember it well. <laughs> I never met anyone that was so spe- specific <laughs> with a date and time. Are you like that with everything in life? No. <laughs> <laughs> but you remember that moment? I remember that moment well, yeah. Uh, I joined way back then. Uh, the original plan was to join 2003. The way it works is you have to go in and general enlistment. My long-term plan was to always get into helicopters, uh, was always get into the search and rescue. But in 2003, roughly about dates, the search and rescue got privatised, got taken away from the Air Corps and is now in its current state with CHC with the Coast Guard. So we're two separate different separate entities. Separate entities, so that's good to know. So you're yeah. completely different, they're different completely to different. you. They're privately so run, yeah. that, did that restrict your opportunity at that stage? You had to bide your time, had you? Well, the plan was then to always keep going towards to get the uh, helicopter crew course. Mm. But like that, what happened was I shortly went overseas, as you said, to uh, I did Liberia I did six months in Liberia I was only in the army uh, six months finished in December got sent out in the June 
the helicopter crew course came up in June when I was away in Liberia. Oh, so timing in life is everything, life. isn't Couldn't it? Couldn't do it then, yeah. exactly, yeah. What was Liberia like, just before <coughs> we move on? Like, to go out there, you were pretty green between, behind the ears going out there. Oh, extreme. Oh, well, we have a saying, what you call someone who's green in the, uh, between the ears in the army, but I won't say it on air. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I was only, I, I was literally only in the door. Um, yeah, look, it was a great adventure. I was young at the time. I only really appreciate it now, mm. the place it was. I remember during my crew training, the troubles in Liberia had only kicked off and I remember watching on the news seven months later I was sitting on a plane heading out towards Liberia but uh, yeah it was definitely it was a fantastic experience to see mm. and obviously with the films Blood Diamond and all came out yes that was old story okay. and sitting looking at it was there you know so, so was, Liberia did you also did a stint in Lebanon yeah yeah that was a little bit late, late, later on that was 2014 a lot mm. happened in between then yeah that was a to Lebanon, anyone in the Irish Army would ha- would have heard it. Obviously done a trip. We all know the stories, the places, the names. Um, the Irish have a fantastic name out there. Uh, any Irish soldiers been out there, obviously know the, we used to have an area of operations in in uh, Tibnane and the locals will still speak a little bit of Irish to you. <laughs> so there's a, a native uh, Irish colony in the Lebanon, is there? Yeah. Taught yeah, by the Irish yeah, soldiers over the, the Irish year. Soldiers, yeah. We have a very good, rep- very good reputation. Yes. And, and well liked out there. And exa- any well hairy moments? Themselves. Um, the Lebanon not so much because it's uh, it's it, it, it was a little bit quieter, you know. But mm. in Liberia, yeah, there was that was a peace enforcement mission. We were right there with us and the Swedish army were in our own camp, and we were the quick reaction force. So coming near the end of a trip, yeah, there was a few political things changed, and a few hairy moments and stuff. Got home safe, so uh, yeah, mm. it was like it was. It was different, especially in Africa. Things things can change in a heartbeat yeah, there. But yeah. You mentioned between the two trips there were quite a number of years. So what did yeah. you do in those years? Had you different roles? Did you get promotion? What happened? Where were you stationed? Yeah, what happened there was obviously you'd always had a, uh, the eye on getting out to the helicopters. But what happened was uh, a chance for apprenticeship came up. So I was into my cars and my vehicles and stuff. And uh, I did a heavy vehicle apprenticeship mechanic or the HEV apprenticeship. So mm. that took four years and then you have to kind of get four years back to the Defence Forces. So I was a while at that. Uh, so I did my four years did a trip overseas as part uh, as part of that that's when I was out in Lebanon I was working on all the trucks so that was a fantastic opportunity to get and I wasn't going to turn it down mm. but in the middle of the apprenticeship the helicopter crewman's course came up again so it had to be put on the back burner so again so once twice, twice he's missed third yeah. time lucky yes yes and it what came happened up when? it came up in 2015 because they okay. opened it up again to the whole mm. defence forces for a while it was only opened up to the Corps personnel but it opened up to the whole defence forces and that's how my journey uh, up in the sky began. Yeah. What's involved in you apply, and is it rigorous in, in terms of selection, and is the training difficult? Yeah, it would be. It's one of the one with one of the few courses in the fence force you have to do a selection course on, and everyone always asks, "How did you end up in helicopters?" Obviously, so the way it worked for my own course was. It goes up on the routine orders. It's advertised as a course. Anyone is welcome to apply, and you had to do an interview. So then when you do an interview then you got you're successful with your interview then you are, had to go to, forward to do a selection week and in that selection week it's a long and hard week they give a lot of information thrown at you uh, a lot of difficult tasks like the first morning you're straight into a fitness test pass or fail after your fitness test then you have lunch then you're down to the swimming pool in the swimming pool you have four lengths in your uniform duck diving two lengths in a martian suit like a it's a survival suit we wear in the aircraft two lengths in that then you have to do a duck dive test 
then they have this lovely thing where we stand on each side of the pool, jump in, swim across five push-ups. They'll keep you going for that for 20 minutes. So you're straight into this. Straight this is in the selection it. process. Yeah. And if you fail any of these, are you out? Yeah. It's as yeah. tough as that. It's as tough as and that. And did yeah. you know that this was coming down the tracks when you applied for this, that these were the disciplines you'd be put Oh, through? I did, yeah. I was All into right. swimming when I was younger. Ah, so look, so at, you did a bit of training for this and preparation yeah, for yeah. it. But still the same. Some people don't make it. Is Yeah, that's, that's fair it, to like say. 75 started it. Uh, 20 week or 75 went for the interview mm. 23 got the selection course 12 was finished and they picked the top 2 out of that? out of that so you made the top 2 out of that whole two. process yeah now that goes on to a, like a there's, there's a panel for two years yes. so I was the first two then another two guys I, I, came off that panel as well yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. well done to you that's a, a hell of an achievement so not easy to get through this and get there and then you, you, you're in so that's the selection process is there a period of training you know before you're yeah. in the sky or do they take you up straight away or? no what happens is on your selection course you'll obviously have to do a swimming test you have a confidence test if you jump off the Blexton Bridge you have to swim in from the middle of the lake with a helicopter flying over your head for confidence uh, then they bombard you with information as well and you have to do a test talk on a given subject so you have to really want the course to get it mm. and then when you're successful you start your training and they start on your basic tr- uh, crew course so what they start off with the basics crew in the aircraft uh, all the health and safety training that goes with the aircraft very important then they have to do your sea survival training you go down to Cork to the college in there uh, with life rafts and stuff you do a thing called a dunker which is like a, it's a mock-up of an aircraft that's lowered into the water and you have to do a, uh, be able to exit the aircraft safely in the dark, upside down, in the water. So that's all part of your training. So it, the basic course is about four weeks. Now that just gets you basic that you're a crewman. Mm. You can crew the aircraft and you can work with the two pilots. You also do a thing called crew resource management, which is what we do. I'm part of a crew. In the 139, you have two pilots and one crewman. In the smaller aircraft, the 135, you have one pilot and one crewman. And within the aircraft, then everyone has their say. There's no rank in the aircraft. So I'd call the two pilots who are officers by their first name and we work as a crew. Okay, so there's no distinction? No, we all trust each other. We all have to work side by side. There's no and distinction. And it's not the now, most... The skipper has final say in the aircraft. Already, okay, of course, because yeah. he's flying it. Yeah. So you, the smallest mission in, in, in a craft is one and one, a pilot and a crewman. That's in our 135 aircraft, okay. correct. Uh, the next one up is a pilot and how many crewmen did you say? You'd have two pilots. Two pilots. That's in the 139 and a yeah. larger aircraft and you have one crewman. Now, on the mission, you could have two crewmen, okay. depending on what role we're yes. in. Yes, and the, the biggest then is what? What's the biggest? Um, our biggest kind of crew setup that we'd have it for would be our EAS operation, which is uh, Emergency Aeromedical Service. The Irish Air Corps runs the National Air Ambulance, which is based out of Atlone Barracks, Custom Barracks in Atlone. Um, we've been down there since 2012, uh, walking in and out of the barracks. Just before we go on, um, I would have to mention just a big thank you to the people of Atlone. They've been very, very supportive of us, as you can imagine a big aircraft coming in mm. out, of, out of a town and they've worked brilliantly with us so far yes. they're absolutely yeah. fantastic there'll be no so you're based there that's where you're yeah the way it works is you do a four day shift mm. now tomorrow now I have two days off and then I'm on a four day shift I'm working Friday to Monday Yeah. and the way it works down in that loan is we'll have a crew of six we have two aircraft technicians we'll have two they look after the aircraft they're the most vital part of it they make sure that everything is working right yeah. we'll have two pilots you'll have myself a crewman and we'll have uh, a national ambulance advanced paramedic with us. Okay. And we are tasked and launched by the National Ambulance Service. And from Athlone, do you go anywhere in Ireland? 
anywhere in the country. It's it's the right place to be, the heart of the country, heart right in the, the centre, isn't it? Right east, west, Midlands. north, south, yeah. away you can you go. You draw a big circle around the middle. And you can cover the whole country. Cover the whole country, especially in the machine we have, the 129. It's a very, very capable machine. And that's the biggest crew again. Is that the most men would be on that for a crew? Or you said, no, you said to me there, two pilots... Two pilots and a crewman. Yeah. Okay, for that one there. And that's ha- your biggest. Is that the biggest uh, helicopter in 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 the corps? Uh, yeah, the one three nine would be our biggest aircraft. We okay. Have, um, but the way that works down on alone, we do a four day shift in there. So someone sits at a special desk in the control room in Tala that's just looking after uh, aeromedical stuff. So they look after the four Coast Guard helicopters as well if it's needed for a medical. Mm. And then they look after ourselves and any other patient transfers in the night. So if you ring nine 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 or one one two because we're Air Corps 112 that's where it comes from it's screened by a call by uh, somebody and they say right we need the aircraft for that and we'll get we, we'll be tasked and launched and it's the whole process you go into yeah. tasks and launches are very specific to just that job the way yeah. we do it So your main calls are for medical emergencies and things like that It'll it? be a third medical trauma and then st- STEMIs which is basically if someone needs a stint Okay. And that's time critical. So you have to get them to a PCI lab uh, around the country. So the okay. likes of the West would be the West and Northwest would be a large area that we op- operate in. But so somebody with a heart condition that you're talking about, a heart condition that's time they have critical. To be, yeah, they okay. have to be there. So yeah. they're a big part of it as well. Medical emergencies and what else? Did you say something? Uh, else? Trauma, like uh, road traffic accidents. Okay. Stuff yeah, like of that. course you're involved yeah. in those as well. So it literally could be anything. You're obviously unafraid of heights and being in the sky an awful lot, and that that doesn't enter the equation. Uh, no, you wouldn't want to be uh, scared of heights or like that. But like everything else, we're only human at the end end of the day, you know. Like some of the missions we get called out on to EAS, like we, we go to the worst of the worst. So like that as well, we have great support from our advanced paramedic with the HSE. And as the crew, we have a good backup service back in the barracks with um, the PSS. So we have a good support and everyone's very professional uh, about it. Like obviously we have a good bit of banter between the crew and stuff, but yes. as soon as it's time for the thing, that's it. We're back in action and you're you're back onto your call. And the Pacific, there's a specific way that we have for even the call out to keep it safe. Like we have a brief in the morning, a safety brief when we're down at loan. And we do a safety brief with weather and stuff like that and what the aircraft state is. So when a call comes in, it'll come into our advanced paramedic and the P1, which is the skipper, he'll only he'll make the call on weather and then he leaves the room and starts up the aircraft. So he never knows clinical details about the job because we have to make the call on weather. If he knew clinical details, it might sway him a bit. So to go. Or, to go. Yeah. So if it's a go or no go. Mm, it's and a big it's kept, call, isn't it? It has to be. It has to, safety is first for the Paramount crew, all paramount of the first, time. Yeah. When 116 crashed in the West, oh my God, what a tragedy that was. Two of those uh, who lost their lives were associated with your people, weren't they? Correct, the two rear crew, um, yeah, Brian Orsby and Karen Smith, they, were, they sat doing my job in the Air Corps. Uh, they were from number three as well. Mm. Uh, so that kind of plays into the whole motto uh, of the unit. Uh, did that shake you? It did, yeah. It it kind of it makes you, cause, because to me, not to become the job, but, well, it's an everyday job and obviously the dangers are always there and we try and lower the risk as much as possible. When something like that happened, it did. It, it shook everyone who worked in the aviation mm. in, in the Three Island to the core, you know, but... You can't dwell on it. What we have to do, you have to learn lessons and stuff from incidents like that and put in better practice and stuff like that. So, sure. But it was sad to lose two guys mm. who worked in your own job, you know. So. Absolutely. And and what you say to me there, I, I say to you about going up in the sky because, look, at, at one stage, I, I even remember for me, flying, I hated it. Don't bother yeah. anymore. It doesn't, I, I really don't care. I've got over that a long time ago. But 
the traumas you come across, the cases you're called to, things like that. You know, when you when you deal with things like that, I've mentioned this to uh, the ambulance crew guys I've interviewed over the years, yeah. the Guardi I've talked to, the emergency response units. How do you how do you you know deal with that, or is there a process for that? Yeah, the best thing you can do, and we find it the best. Now we do have set procedures in in line for there are people there 24-7 if we do need to call to them the Air Corps are very good at that having a system set up for us but the best thing a lot of the crews will tell you when you're back and if we go to like a particularly bad call we'll go offline for that bit we'll go in we'll have the official debrief going through from the start to the finish and then the best one is if we sit down and have a cup of tea together mm. and the van's paramedic might say God, that was a bad one and you go oh what a bad one and you're talking about it and you're dealing with it and you're sorting it out and yeah. I'm sure the Gardaí and the ambulance crew will always say the little bit of black sense of humour comes into things as well mm. which is a big thing which will break it down but it'll get us talking about it and we mm. get great support uh, from the air corps in the likes of that like there's if I did a particularly bad call and I said I need a bit of time there's no questions asked there's none of this man up you get that you get that and so there's no problem whatsoever in talking there's therapy and being together and discussing you things you have to talk about it you yeah, have to deal with yeah, what you have to see rather than internalising it yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hell of a situation to come across for anybody when, you, when you're involved in trauma now you mentioned the different roles that, that you and your crew fulfil you, you, you told us there about the medical emergencies yeah. the heart situation uh, you also do other things. You lift, if you need to lift equipment and move stuff, is that part of it? These are the different you, things. Like, the EAS has explained it, like, we're national arm, but that's just one small part of yeah. our unit. We do everything from cargo slinging, as you said, that's under... Is that what it's called? Cargo slinging. <laughs> I have the so right term now, lifting, says I, lifting stuff. Lifting, you could... Cargo we, we have a container we can lift underneath the aircraft, so we can lift stuff for the military, we can get their equipment in. That's obviously mm. a big role uh, part we have. We can lift supplies for the Office of Public Works. Anything the states need an aircraft to lift. You're uh, there. We're there. What about the dry summer gone by? I'm dying yes, to ask you this because yes, I've yes. seen choppers carry out this <laughs> role. Have you done this? Dropping I the have. water from the sky? We all, we all, we all. What's it called, the bucket you it's use? It's called a Bambi bucket. A Bambi, Bambi bucket. Okay. Yeah. yeah, we were very, very busy this, this summer. Obviously, for the dry summer we had in Newgrange, we discovered obviously the archaeological finds, but... The whole country decided to go on fire within a space of two weeks. And as a unit, we're the one with the firefighting uh, capability uh, in the state. Uh, just to give you a few facts and figures, it's called a Bambi bucket. And the way it works is it's an underslung uh, bucket. So we fly in low and in over like a water source. We dip the bucket in. It fills up. Pick up 12,000 litres in one go. And then we have certain set procedures and stuff for tackling the fire. We'll coordinate with the fire, National Fire Service and with the fire crews on gra- on the ground. There could be fire crews or sometimes, of course, the Defence Forces, the soldiers come out there and trained in, in firefighting. And we can drop 12,000 litres in one go. We fought fires uh, in Wexford, Limerick, uh, Leash, Offaly, Tipperary, Wicklow, Cork. And as well, we also went across the border and we support our colleagues in the Northern Ireland Fire Service. The job I was involved with was up in Camlock. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. 
Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Just, uh, just literally crossed the border and said, said to Mao, we did a full day up there. Uh, that's what I was saying to Rose. Like I was working on the ES machine on the weekend. I was firefighting the next weekend. Yes. In all the air corps, even in uh, Bray head, head, head as well, we dropped over 9,000 litres of water this summer on fires all over the country. And does it work? You know, yeah, can you see it? You know, it's hard to see. You know, we see you guys dropping it, but that's something I want to... Obviously, you wouldn't be doing it if it, does, if it doesn't work, but it is Rinsing effective. Out, down, down in the sleeve blooms, uh, we come up with a great idea. We actually dug a hole and filled it full of water because we'd no near water source. See, it'll only work if you have a near water source. So um, I think one of the pilots claimed that idea, that he came up with the idea of digging the hole and filling it full of water. And the locals, uh, farmers with their slurry tankers, kept filling the water. Yeah. So we only had a three-minute run from picking up the bucket and it help, it helps the fire service yeah, to get so a handle on the So you create a bike. little uh, lake for you, a mini lake for yourself That's exactly just to, what to we did. And that cross-border thing, would that be unusual to go and help your colleagues? I'm just thinking with Brexit in the wind and all this stuff, you know yeah, what I mean? Always comes <laughs> in, yeah. no, There's like no Brexit in the skies. Well, there will be actually, but uh, anyway, you do cooperate. We do cooperate, but one thing I will say about the unit, when the call comes in for us to do the job, mm. we have no problem doing it. Um, we work with a fantastic number of people in our unit. Another role we do, like when that call came in, it was just, that's it, it's, it's another call for us, you yes. know, and we're more than happy to go up and help our neighbours in, in, in the north. Okay. Like they were under pressure that week, it was the week of the 12th and stuff. The fire service don't have the resources, they can't get 300 troops on the ground. So we're delighted to go across the border and to give them a dig out. Like in years gone by, you mightn't see that, but gladly things, things oh, are it's, changed. it's really across, good you know, yeah. listen time's going to be gone shortly I have to ask you about this you have a hobby you're a busy guy and uh, you're up in the skies and you're helping lots of people um, I'd say you're a bit of a daredevil really Kells Road Racing Club you, you race no I don't race you don't race you're a mechanic race. no what I do is I'm part of the club that organises the okay. races so, but you're, you're not on bikes yourself I do have a bike as well yeah, yeah. and you do a bit of spinning on it yeah Oh yeah, but I always stick to the speed limit and take okay. the time. So that's all right. Yeah. That's all right. I, yeah, know, I'm actually, I know. Yeah, we're heavily involved with the road racing club. So yeah, hopefully now I said we're organised. I was saying to you about my hobbies and stuff, and that's one of my hobbies is I love the road racing. And Kells had a tough time the last two years. So absolutely. This year now we're hopefully we'll be back. I said we've a 
we've mm. a nice raffle coming up and stuff you can check out a bit of a plug there you can check out the Facebook page on the Facebook the, yeah. page and it's Kells Road Kells Racing Road Races we're giving away yeah. a brand new Suzuki Jixxer 1000 bike so. oh my god so so you're part of the club there you do a bit of biking yourself yeah. and uh, the club is uh, has been a big part of the community there for many and many years mm. what do you say to people about the road racing it's a dangerous sport like you know no matter what way you look and I know people love it but motorsport is dangerous yeah there was a thing on last night about hill climbing Everest and stuff like that dangerous dangerous you know but there's no one forcing these lads to get on the bike yeah I know we all do it for the love of the sport yeah. it's my way of switching off it's my therapy it's like it's it's something I get a big buzz out you know so mm. we're looking forward to getting the, the the riders and races it's one of the biggest sporting events in the county like mm. we'll have five to three uh, five thousand eight thousand people at that event so it'll be a big boost for the county mm. tour, tours when is it day. happening it's happening next June the 15th and 16th okay so, so next year in midsummer time it's back again and it's going to be big 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 yeah. um, you have a partner and congratulations thanks very much because there's a baby on the way yes Yes. Yeah. when is the baby one of the due? biggest adventures I'm ever going to go yeah, on you <laughs> bet baby you think helicopters are yeah. challenging I'll be volunteering to go into work <laughs> <You> <laughs> <laughs> You're in. When is the the new arrival? Uh, the 9th of April. Ah, oh, congratulations well, so. to you, and wish you yeah, all well with that one as well. Yeah. Anyway, the new baby will have a, a be proud of the dad, Corporal Dermot Cochran. He's a member of the Air Corps and a crew member on helicopters. And you've been listening to him this afternoon on late lunch, Dermot. It's really lovely to meet you. Thanks thank for dropping in, and good wishes with your work. And thank you from all of the people you've helped, all you people help and will help in the future. We couldn't, uh, we couldn't you know operate without you guys and all the support you give society in general thanks a million no worries at all thank you very much The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda your local Renault selection dealer with over 250 quality used cars in stock there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie it's your problems of a personal nature for the next while on Late Lunch. She's back with us. Counsellor and psychotherapist Barbara Kelly is in the house. Barbara, good to see you again. Thank Hello, you very Jay, much you? for joining us. I'm very good indeed. Now, I have already a couple of questions lined up for you from listeners, genuinely from listeners that have come to us. Uh, we put it out there that you were coming to us and here's a couple to get us going. If you want to ask Barbara a question, I'll put a question to her in confidence today or at any stage between now and our next visit. Get in touch with us. Oh, 086-1800-658 by text or WhatsApp. You can do that straight away today. Or if you want to email us, in confidence, I say, uh, you can get in touch with us, late lunch at lmfm.ie. That's late lunch at lmfm.ie. Barbara, here we go with the first one. And by the way, I had to look up the definition of this in the dictionary, I have to be honest, before you came here today. But let me read this message that's come to us. I was, up until recently, in a relationship with a covert narcissist, which was quite simply devastating. It took me a long time to end it, but I did. However, I'm still in the process of getting over what is on reflection a traumatic time in my life. I want another relationship in the future, but fear I could end up in similar circumstances and also want to highlight this type of personality so that others may not experience what I have. I'd be delighted if Barbara could talk about this next next time she's with you on your show. And she is with us today. You know who you are. Thank you indeed uh, for that question. Now, Barbara, yeah. narcissistic. Now, Narcissist, explain. Yes. Well, um, first of all, I just want to say that I I want to approach this lady's uh, question or, or well, 
very interesting statement that she's made uh, from her perspective rather than from the person who has okay. narcissism, just so I can be clear from that. So I suppose, first of all, to say, yes, what is narcissism? And it's a word that often people kind of bandy about. Um, you know, people use things like, you know, if somebody's a little bit cocky or they're vain or they're full of themselves, they kind of, you know, oh, you're so so narcissistic. And, you know, and it's actually, I think, been diluted over the years of what it really means. And it is a, a real psychological disorder. Narcissistic personality disorder, or NPD as it is referred to, is an actual disorder. Um, And the funny thing is that it's actually, you know, somebody who is actually narcissistic isn't full of self-love and actually full of self, you know, confidence. It's usually quite the opposite, that they are actually putting on a mask and they are almost in love with the pretend self that they are putting out to the world. And by doing that, by portraying themselves as somebody else who's very confident and, you know, you know, can do anything and be anything and this really, you know, um, like that kind of perfection, if you like, by doing that, what they're doing is they are distracting themselves and really preventing themselves from touching on their their insecurities. And you will find that somebody who who has narcissistic personality disorder has got huge, deep rooted emotional issues going on. So that's what you're dealing with if yes. you're with somebody it's like this. It's a very serious disorder. The words I wrote down was arrogant, self-centred, yes. mani- manipulative and demanding. Yes, there are certain kind of characteristics. Now, not everybody who would have the disorder would necessarily have all the yes. characteristics, but there are certainly kind of common um, characteristics and they would be things like, you know, a high, heightened sense of self-importance. Um, also, a disconnect from reality, almost kind of having a fantasy world. That, and they genuinely are believing that they're living this, that they are this person person that they are portraying but often you see is that's not at all the reality. So how do you spot this in well, somebody? This you is, know this is obviously going back to the question we have. This is the here. really difficult part of it all and this is why you know and I'm so glad that this lady has written in and highlighted it. This is I have a particular interest in this area as a therapist because it is something that is so misunderstood. The, the main problem is that the person who has um, a narcissistic personality disorder, you know, they are hypersensitive to being challenged or, you know, if somebody doesn't agree with them. So what happens is if they sense that somebody, which is often in a relationship, but, you know, the, the glow goes off after a while and you start to get to know somebody and um, you're, you're maybe having a discussion about something or, you know, you're going along in life. And then for some reason... The person involved with somebody who has narcissistic personality disorder may challenge or just disagree with with something. And that's when almost the first flags can start to kind of be seen. Okay. Because the person with the disorder is hypersensitive to any kind of criticism. So what will happen then is they will perceive that they're being attacked and they must defend themselves at all cost. I actually, I always think it's an interesting way to kind of see it. It's almost like, you know, to be challenged means to be attacked. And for somebody who has narcissistic personality disorder, they must defend and regain that sense of control no matter what it takes. Mm. And that's why it can be an incredibly damaging condition to be involved with. So from this woman's perspective. Yeah. Over time, what can happen is, do you know, it can just be easier to give in. If you're involved with somebody who has this disorder, you can almost get a sense of, do you know what, I'll just give in. I won't challenge. I won't question anything. I'll just because the fallout of questioning or not agreeing is so immense. I'm talking really like we're talking, you know, uh, behaviours like um, blaming, lying, manipulating and basically just going 
so, you know, desperate to prove that, that, that they're right, they will change things around. And what happens then is that the person who's living with somebody or, or um, involved with somebody with personality, uh, narcissistic personality disorders, they actually start to question whether they are wrong. And that's, again, another reason why if somebody then, like this lady, has luckily gotten herself out of the relationship, the damage is so deep because, you know, there'll be that ongoing question of, you know, what was I actually the one who was wrong? Mm. Was I actually being unfair? She says that there, yeah. that she's still in recovery and recovering this. Because and it's worried. so manipulating. OK, and worried then obviously would like to meet somebody yeah, else. So but afraid. Concerned. Oh, it's, you know, it is an incredibly traumatic um, thing to be if you if you have an, an experience with somebody who is a really you know out of control narcissist, um, and I think another thing that's really important to say is you know well if 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 it's that awful why then do people not run a, a mile from somebody somebody who has um, narcissistic personality disorder part of being able to function is that they they learn how to be incredibly manipulative and incredibly believable and often friends and some family members will not believe when the person turns around who's involved and says I had to you know I'm really either you know the relationship is breaking down or having a lot of problems and they touch on this whole area of narcissism people will just look and go I don't know what you're talking about. Is that what she means by covert? Oh inc- and you know what I guarantee that, you know, everybody will, if they don't have somebody in their life now, they will at some point have had somebody who is a narcissist in their life. They may never have realised. They may think that they're a really kind, generous person. They often do actually um, go into um, professions where they're, you know, quite giving and caring. But it's actually because then there's power and control with that role. So it's a very manipulative and it is a very damaging disorder. Do you think before we leave this or just on a final point on it because I want to move on um, that this woman should take her time Uh, you know how should she deal with another relationship I'm, I'm glad in a way that she's kind of saying that she is hesitant getting into another relationship she will be okay she will get into a healthy relationship but what she needs to do now is really focus on herself. She needs to rebuild herself because what has happened to her is very deeply damaging. So what I'm saying is to her, for her to rebuild, the very first key thing I would say to her is she needs to feel she's believed. Mm. This is not in her mind. She didn't think this all up, that this person wasn't actually wonderful and she was the one in the wrong. There's a very good chance that, yes, this was a narcissist if that's what she now has come to, to, to realise. So what I would say to her is, you know, first of all, perhaps to link up with a, a therapist who is very, you know, versed in this area. Um, because not all therapists either have been exposed to this. So it's, you know, to, to look for somebody who has worked in this area and also to try to make connections with other people who have also been in a relationship with somebody and who have successfully rebuilt their life yeah. afterwards. Because to sit with somebody who, when you speak about it, gets it, is such a support. It kind of means I'm not going crazy. You know, this isn't all in my mind. And that is hugely supportive. And I even kind of think, you know, when I talk about somebody who has come out of a relationship with somebody who was a narcissist, they really are in recovery. 
that's what it is like. They are in recovery. They have been so hurt and they're emotionally so manipulated. They have to rebuild themselves. Completely. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's very, very interesting, yeah. isn't it? Let me read this next one that came to us. Uh, I'm a 48 year old woman now desperately seeking a loving relationship with a man after a series of disappointments in recent years. What's wrong with me? Why can't I catch and keep a partner? I'm fun, young at heart, fit and healthy, have my own place and a good job and I've given myself entirely to previous relationships. Is it me? Am I destined to be alone forever? Please help and TC. Well, 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 Barbara, you've been having a look at this one for us. I'm I'm real into listening to what people say, the words they choose, what people don't say, their body language, all of that. And what really jumps out at me is the amount of negative talk that obviously is, is, you know, in this lady's head and in her heart, you know, things like desperate disappointments. What's wrong with me? Why can't I catch and keep? Is it me? Will I be alone forever? I mean, that is heavy, toxic, negative belief about you and your situation. And then we have a little glimpse of hope there. A few positives are are mentioned around being fun, young at heart, fit and healthy, own place, good job, all lovely, really. And under the same category of positives, we also have included that in the past she's given herself entirely to previous relationships as if that is somehow a good idea or a positive thing. And actually, I believe that's where perhaps the core of the issue here is. Why? Why do you say that? Because people talk about commitment. If you give entirely of yourself to someone else, then you have nothing left for you. And you have got to have, keep back some for you, some energy, some time, some love. It is so important. You know, a healthy relationship requires two individuals who come together to share each other's uniqueness. Now, How can you share somebody's uniqueness if they have given everything to you, perhaps even morphed into what they feel you need so that they can give you what what they feel you need? You're, You're losing a balance there. And I would be very concerned that if somebody feels that giving in a relationship 100% or entirely of themselves is what they should be doing, that I feel is a great starting point for this person to just stop and go, okay, maybe I need to look and see, do a little bit of work, maybe go and talk to somebody a little bit around looking after themselves, their self-esteem, what they think of themselves, their value, and maybe that whole idea of giving themselves some love and time and all of that. Because, And the other thing that also, I suppose, uh, jumped out at me was, you know, in the past, we always had this idea that, uh, you know, we attract people. So people would often go, oh, I don't know what's wrong with me. I seem to attract these awful, awful fellas. It's like I've got a sign on my head saying, if you're, if you're desperate, come and get me. I actually believe it's quite the opposite, that we are actually drawn to and attracted to people who at that time in our life are actually reflecting what we think of ourselves. So if you look back over any, you know, when I I think personally, if I look back over some maybe tough times in my life and I think, wow, during that time when I was perhaps feeling very low or vulnerable or my self-esteem was really quite poor, I was attracted to people who really were not good for me, who didn't treat me very nicely, who would have, you know, I suppose used me for what I I, I could give and then not really 
had much time for me, hadn't didn't give back support, all those kind of things. And it just makes me really made me realise that, you know, if you work on yourself and you really start to realise your own self-worth, build up your self-esteem, learn as well who you are, because we can kind of lose ourselves, particularly over the years. But if we go to a lot of relationships and they're not always the most positive, we can lose a sense of who we are and who we were. So maybe in this situation, if this person invests some time into looking, who are they? redefine their their identity. Look and see, you know, is my life getting quite limited? Do I need to maybe look and say, maybe I need to try some new things. Mm. Maybe I need to expand my interests, my social circle, all those things. And I guarantee the crazy thing is when you start giving yourself time and really working on yourself, then you will be attracted to the really right people, the healthy people. Who, Isn't that interesting? It is so true. Do you know what I was thinking of? One word when you were talking there mm. a moment ago, smothering. Do you know this thing yes. of smothering somebody? Yes. So what you're saying is that is not good. Oh. You need to have your own space, your own time, both come together. Yes. Yes, but, but not... I always say, you know, to clients, would is there anything attractive in a partner who will literally, you know, do anything, say anything for you and has no boundaries that would never turn around and say, whoa, hold on a minute. That's not OK. Please don't speak to me that way. Whatever. A boundary, you know, because they have self-respect. And the answer is no. If somebody doesn't clearly define boundaries and say, well, hold on a minute. I deserve respect. I deserve X, Y and Z. Please don't speak to me that way. Whatever. You know, that there's... That's an attractive quality when somebody is confident enough to say, I respect myself enough to say I will not put up with that or whatever. And here it's almost the other way, which is giving entirely, perhaps having no boundaries Mm. and it being all about the other person. So work on yourself. Work Don't on smother. yourself. And this isn't about blame. It's not we're not no. saying, Oh, it's it's this person's fault. But I think perhaps, you know, it's about look at yourself, work on yourself, really start to do things, try things, you know. And also It may be that the people who have been in your life may not have been particularly healthy for you. But again, if you work on yourself, you will be attracted to the right people. Very, very interesting. Let's take this one. I'm sure we have time to deal with this one before we finish. I'm I'm worried sick about my husband. He lost his job two years ago and has never been the same since. We always had a great relationship. We've been together for 20 years and have four wonderful children. Before he was made redundant, he was very positive, outgoing. Uh, but now it's like he's just given up on everything. He is put on a lot of weight, stays in bed most of the day, doesn't have friends anymore and always seems distracted. I feel like I've lost my best friend and it's causing a massive strain between us. We argue all the time and I now feel more like his mother than his wife. What can I do? Do you know, there's kind of two feelings. I think many of us could listen to that and really feel for that man. My goodness, he sounds like he's in a really dark place. But then there's another part of me that thinks, I really feel for that, that the wife too. It must be so difficult to be living in that house and the children feel for them too in that kind of you know that sort of heaviness where you know somebody is just not okay somebody's really struggling and you know what I suppose what's what strikes me as well is this idea that you know it how drastic the change in his personality has been you know going from a positive outgoing person and now two years later being very negative and very withdrawn and often with a loss of a job people really lose their identity as well. And we don't always realise that. It can be extremely difficult. And a loss of any type, whether it's bereavement or even a breakup of a relationship or a loss of a job, can leave somebody feeling things like, you know, lost or um, very 
insecure, depressed, anxious, they can start to feel all the emotions of grieving because loss is loss. So whether it is the loss of a life or the loss of something where you might have, you know, predicted that this is the direction my life was going and then all of a sudden that's gone, people can be just thrown into a sense of grief. So sometimes, you know, people can naturally process grief and, you know, eventually adapt to their new normal and come out and and continue on and function. But sometimes people get stuck. And when they get stuck, it can sometimes trigger a spiral where they really, you know, kind of feel out of control. And there is a spiral. There's yeah. a spiral. There's several things wrong. Yes. But how do you kick somebody? And I don't mean to use that word, but how do you kickstart them again? Well, let's be, I'm going to be really honest. Nobody can fix somebody else. And that is, and that sometimes, you know, people go, yeah, yeah, I know that. And then you look at them go and they're desperately trying to, and I'm always telling them and I'm saying, get out of the bed. Man. Stop. You cannot make somebody else better. You cannot fix somebody else. But what you can do is you can either contribute to their recovery or you can actually add to the problem. So what I would say in this is, you know, first of all, be open. Talk about that everything is obviously not okay. But try to do it not in the while you're pulling back the curtain saying get out of the bed in a confrontational way, but to be able to just say, look, I'm really worried. I'm worried for you, but I'm worried for us and I'm worried for the kids. And I really feel that we need to talk about this. And if, if the husband isn't perhaps receptive to that is there somebody maybe a relative or a friend who maybe could meet up and just have a chat and just go look we're worried are you okay and just get the talking going because often if somebody's really struggling I mean this guy you know the weight gain being in bed withdrawing from his social circle um, being distracted as well they are all or they can be symptoms of depression so I would be saying right we need to just kind of Look after this guy because he may be in such a dark place now that he's feeling maybe quite hopeless. And the GP is really the first port of call is to try and get him in there to have a chat and just talk about, you know, maybe he needs to get some bloods done and just make sure medically there's nothing else going Mm. on. But get into the GP and then go and talk. If If he doesn't feel comfortable to talk to friends or whatever. And look, lads can be awful when it comes to talking about actual emotions. So sometimes men will actually find it much more useful to go and talk to a therapist. Mm. And that's brilliant, you know, but it's just get the conversation going. But can I just finally say one really important thing is to this lady, she needs to look after herself. Okay. If she looks after herself, she'll be able to look after him, the kids, everybody. But most important, she needs to mind herself. Barbara Kelly, have to leave it there for the day. Thank you so much indeed. And Thank if you'd you, like Jerry. to talk to Barbara on a professional basis, she's a counsellor and psychotherapist. We have our number off the usual LMFM no- number 1850-715-958 and we'll pass those numbers on to Barbara if you'd like to talk to her. Until the next time, Barbara Kelly. Thank you. Thanks, Jerry. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. She's the woman behind Crop Candles, the fastest growing candle brand in Ireland in 2017. And there's a story behind that as well. She's a former personal chef to the Duchess of York, Sarah Ferguson. And she's a perfumer and she's on the line with me, Lucy Haggerty. Good afternoon. Hello, Jerry. Good afternoon. Thank you very much for joining me on the show. What's a perfumer? A perfumer makes perfume. It creates um, you know, I create perfume from scratch, um, from 
aromatic sourced all over the world and um we make smells <laughs> It was the most non-brainer of a question I've ever asked on the show and we love to be on the Twitter. But you use the sense in that now for a very special reason. Well, of course. I mean, perfume, you, you wear perfume. Yeah. You spray perfume in your house to make it, it smell nice. You know, perfume is used in laundry detergents. Mm. Um, you know, and, and actually in, in some of the, you know, chewing gum, um, Sometimes a perfume is made to, to make it smell better. Really? So mm. all those different uses. But you in particular have a very niche one with your candles, yes? I do, I do. Um, and yes, I am the only you know, perfumer and candle maker in Ireland. Um, we're a lovely Irish um, brand. You can tell, though, from my accent, um, I'm not... Mm. from the shores mm. but my accent's going nowhere I'm married to an absolutely <laughs> but you listen you're just one of the accents of these islands that we're very familiar with don't worry about that <laughs> I suppose you have difficulty when you live in Ireland understanding what the people down there are saying in Cork do you? I, I do I was a, yes I mean uh, my, my son who sounds more Cork um, than anybody else down here um, he, he can sometimes translate for me Okay, so listen, tell me about these candles, because crop candles, they've been a mighty success for you, haven't they? They have. So we have, um, we have a brand called La Bougie. That is how I started in, in, in 2012, doing high-end uh, luxury candles, true perfumery candles, where you would make a perfume that could be worn on the skin, but I actually chose to put them into home fragrancing. Mm. However... Um, so last year, the, I'm married to a dairy farmer, and we needed a new tractor. Our tractor was on its last leg. So really, uh, the candle maker and the dairy farmer, we sort of put our heads together, and Crop was born, which um, is a, a candle company that celebrates Ireland's produce. So we do, I, I do smells representing all sorts of things that come from Ireland, from, from uh, gorse, which is, you know, on, on the, my daily walk. Yes. Uh, to things like rhubarb, elderflower, all the things that you can find in, in, in Ireland. And we do them as seasonal fragrances alongside the year-round fragrances of grass, rain and earth, which, of course, there is an abundance of those three in Ireland. I love them. I really love this concept. That's why I'm talking to you today, because I love the Irish countryside and the scents that come with it. And you can capture the seasons in these candles, even out of season. So what do you do? Do you mix these uh, perfumes and scents into the candle wax? Is that it? Absolutely. But, the, 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 you know, the, the magic is actually creating the perfume in the first place. And... Um, and that is, is, is the bit that I love. It's the creativity. It's the coming up with, 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 with the smells, with the fragrances. Yeah. And sometimes you'll get very lucky and you can produce something in a matter of days. Um, and other times, I have one particular fragrance that we use for La Bougie, which is our Christmas fragrance, Goose de Vanille. Um, that took me two years to perfect. So it really does, does you know depend on, on, on really what sort of mood you're in, mm. I, I suppose. And you can influence the mood as well with what you do, which is fantastic. Where did you train in this? So, it's, it's, training as a perfumer is near on impossible. Um, I wanted to be a perfumer when I was at school, and I was told my French wasn't good enough. So, I was lucky enough to be living in Switzerland because of my husband's job. And so my French became quite passable, you know. Yeah. Um, and, of course, some of the best perfumers are living 
down near Geneva. Um, and me being as, as um, you know, I, I mean, I just don't give up easily. Um, I managed to, you know, find a perfumer and, um, you know, and train under him. And how many years or how long did that take? It took me seven years. Oh, so it's a long, long apprenticeship. <laughs> I know. As my dad said, my God, you could have become a surgeon in that time and it probably would have paid more. <laughs> Maybe it would, but we wouldn't have these beautiful smells of the Irish countryside. It was fate that this would happen, that you would go this road. Absolutely. And um, what was really exciting with crop is that we launched in March last year. And then, really excitingly, by December, we've got a shiny blue tractor. Lovely! Um, so we're all happy. Um, I'm just not sure what we're going to do next for the farm, because actually we really need a new building. Oh, my God. Well, listen, if crop is anything to go by and your ingenuity with himself and all that you have there, I wouldn't bet against it. I think it's something that's coming round uh, down the tracks to you in the future. Let me ask you this as well, because yes. I did mention it today in the introduction. You were personal chef to Sarah, Duchess of York, in the 1990s. I was, um, because that was actually my, my, my proper first career. Um, and yes, I was. I was, a, I was a royal chef to her. Um, and at a time when the royals, it was a fun time for the royals. Diana was still alive. Um, they were all misbehaving a little bit, you know, now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now they seem to be so straight-laced. Yes. But, um, so it was a really great, fun time. And, and um, yes, I loved every minute of it. What was she like? You know, I loved her. Well, I mean, I'd say I loved her. We're still very much in touch. But um, she is has an amazing sense of humour, a, a heart the size of Ireland. I mean, huge. Mm. And funny enough, she adores Ireland. And down here, she's called the Duchess of Cork. Really? Yeah, she's very popular. Down Isn't that lovely? Do you know something? You've given me an opportunity now, and I'm not going to pass this one because I have to tell you, I have great admiration for the royal family, and she is the one royal that I met. Oh, how lovely. Where did you meet her? I met her in New York, and I'll tell you, it was a real coincidence. I was over there with the King's Court Band for the St. Patrick's Day Parade, working for LMFM Radio. I was a part-timer at the time. I had another life, like yourself, and another job, but I was over there for the parade. They were leading the parade, representing their county cabin, and we went for a few little bevies the night before, and I was a little bit tired the next day, but I had to go to the Nike store at the top of Fifth Avenue, right? Oh, I know exactly what, yes. I know what you mean, actually. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and I had to get goodies to bring home to my children, who were younger at the time, and when you couldn't really get the Nike stuff here in Ireland, you know what I mean? So I had a list, had to go up there, got them, came back down Fifth Avenue, was a bit tired, feeling a little bit sweaty. It, was a, it wasn't a bad morning, even though it was March time. Sat on the steps of St. Patrick's Cathedral, put the two big bags out, two big bags each side yeah. of me on the steps, and it was as if the world stood still, Lucy, because here she came to my left-hand side with two security men with her, mm-hmm. behind her, and I knew her straight away, and I left the steps and made a move towards her, and the two security guys, of course, moved up and stopped me. But I said, look, I know who this is. I'm not going to hammer. I just want to say hello. And I introduced myself and she shook my hand. And I told her who I was and why I was in New York. And she told me uh, where she was. And she was living there at the time, not far away. She showed me where as well. And she told me, as you said there, she had a great affinity with Ireland. Mm, Huge, mm, huge. It really does. I mean, uh, uh, from from all of them, she spends as much time. I mean, she and also... Uh, nobody ever tells the press when she's here. 
Mm. Everybody keeps it quiet. Yes. So I sh- I'm not surprised she loves it. No, she did. And anyway, when we finished our little chit-chat, and she was she was interested in what I had to say, and I said it was a real honour to meet her, and we shook hands again, and she went on her way uh, up to where she was living there. And she just turned her head and said back to me, I'll never forget it, don't forget your bags, because I was that excited. I nearly went off without the loot from the Nike store. Oh, my God. Anyway, that's my little story. Thank you for allowing me to tell that today. With- right. I will tell I will tell her when we're, when we're next speaking <laughs> that, I, uh, that I let you. And it'll all come round in full circle. <laughs> Oh Lord Almighty! Isn't that just great? But look, it back to you. And, and, and seriously, are you are you working on uh, another range, different scents, or what now with the crop candles? So the crop candles, we're going to bring out some body products, um, but we're very much next. That that'll be next year. But next year, we're very much concentrating on our main brand, which is La Bougie. Um and we've got an exciting rebrand happening, and all sorts of things going on there. So I'm I'm always busy i'm mm. always you know we're, we're working a year ahead so we yes. know what's happening next christmas and yes there will be a body product for crop candles because i really want to have have our fragrance rain made into a body lotion because there's just something so delicious about it okay so that opens up a whole new vista entirely just mm. on candles one thing while you're with me i remember one time at home my wife is a great fan of candles and actually my daughter is and she's just moved house into a new house uh, recently and i was down there last evening i see she loves the candles as well one time uh, we had them in a room and the soot off the candle blackened the whole we had to get the room redecorated what was wrong? What did I do wrong or what did we do wrong then? Well, I can probably guess the brand of candles that you bought. But oh, don't say them. Don't say I know, I know. I'm going to. <laughs> it was. It was. I'm the daughter of a lawyer. I wouldn't dream of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know your stuff for radio. Thanks for saving my bacon. So what you're saying is, yes, it was a brand of candle. I can confirm that. Yes, it I was. Su- I suspect it's lazy candle making. Yes. They're not, you know, you have to match your wick to your, to your wax. I did 15,000 different wax and wick test when I started. Took me just over a year. Mm. Um, and that would be the first thing. Then, then your fragrance, everything is testing, testing, testing. Because, you know, if you, if you persevere, you can get a beautiful slow-burning yeah. candle, which throws off. It's all about the fragrance throw. It's got to scent the room that yeah. you're... You're in. Otherwise, what's the point of it? So there you are. There is a science in it, and it must mm-hmm. be got right. If not, you will be blackening ceilings, and people won't be buying your candles again, and it's all downhill Absolutely. from there. It's all about reputation, and yes. and I'm very pleased to say that my my reputation is untarnished as a candle Second maker. <laughs> to none, we say. Where can you get the crop candles? Are they available nationally? They are available available nationally in all really good sort of independent retailers. But okay. If you want to go. Uh, Meadows and Burns stocks them throughout the country as well. Um, and that's a great place to get them online too. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Last thing, what's your favourite scent of the countryside? I want to put you on the spot. Sorry, what is my favourite? I didn't hear. Your favourite scent. Oh, my favourite From scent. the Irish countryside that you've incorporated into these wonderful candles. Oh, quite simply, gorse. Yes. It's divine, the smell of coconut. Coconut. Ah, oh, I can... heaven. I have it in my nostrils already. <laughs> I can smell it. Mind you, I love the smell when the buyers are cleared out in the springtime after the animals have been in for winter, but okay. well, I don't know... Yes, well, that's fine. Yes, you're probably a bit like my <laughs> husband. No, 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 I'm going to stick with the gore. <laughs> Lucy, I don't blame you. I'm a bit of an oddity when we talk about things like that. Anyway, do you know something? It's been a pleasure talking to you today. And Good luck. 
luck to you. Thank you very much. Not at all. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's Lucy Hegarty there. And those crop candles are one of the big success stories in Ireland last year for sure. And lovely to talk to her on late lunch this afternoon. Hope you all have a lovely evening this Monday. Take care. And fingers crossed crossed for more normal times in the town of Drogheda over the next 24 hours and beyond. Please God, things will settle down and this madness will stop at last because people just want to get on with their lives and live them to the best of their ability. Anyway, that's it for today. Have a nice evening. Talk to you tomorrow. Have one. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.